and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. This is our Champions League final review extravaganza. It was a beautiful morning for Barcelona. They were 4-0 winners over Sam Kerr's Chelsea. An incredible game to watch, not just because of Barcelona's absolute masterclass, but just a 4-0 scoreline in this final was incredible to watch. So we're going to dissect it all have lots of chats about it because there was just so much to talk about. So it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilk, Sam Lewis, and we're joined by a very special guest this week. Up right and early in Dublin, Ireland, it's ESPN journo Kathleen McNamee. So Kathleen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. I enjoy listening to it, so it's fun to actually be on with you guys. We're stoked that you listened to it, to be honest. Like that's the you've you've endeared yourself to us even more now, the fact that you listened to it. But let's crack into the chat. So as I said, Barcelona for Chelsea nil. It was just a 36-minute masterclass from the Spanish champions. It was the most unfortunate start for Chelsea, a own goal to Melanie Lupoltz, and then Barcelona just continued to do the thing and continue to produce this absolutely beautiful football. So, Kathleen, I suppose just kind of general overview of the game, what did you make of it? I was, well, I think alongside everyone else, I was just so shocked when those first two goals went in. I mean, like I had said in the lead up to the week that I thought Chelsea were really going to put it to Barcelona. Uh, I have been teased mercilessly for that since. (laughs) So that was a smart one on my part. But I think it just didn't look like the Chelsea team that I've been so used to watching this year. Like I follow Chelsea quite closely and also have followed Barcelona relatively closely as well. And I thought about games like when they played City in the quarters and like City did actually like take it to them in the second leg. I kind of thought that would have given Chelsea more of a blueprint for dealing with them. Um, But I just thought Chelsea, they looked disjointed. They were out on their feet and there was no player in the Chelsea team who had a good game. And it's quite unfortunate for every single one of your very talented players to not have a good game in a Champions League quarterfinal or in a final. Um, But I think Barcelona were just incredible. Having said that, I think as bad as Chelsea were, even on a good day, they would have struggled against that team. And they're just their passing was so good. Their strength and conditioning just seemed so much better. I know some people argue that maybe they haven't had as difficult a season, but they still have had a season and they still are coming to the end of it just like anyone else. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just sitting there kind of mouth agape at the whole thing. Kathleen, I'm curious about your opinion when it comes to, I guess, how we assessed both of these teams in the lead up, because there was so much hype around this Chelsea side off the back of them winning the FAWSL, the idea of the quadruple, it being, you know, the, potentially the best Chelsea side that has ever, you know, existed. How much of the sort of the reaction in, in the, the, like sort of after the final, do you think was like a consequence of almost like too much hype versus maybe not enough hype around Barca? I think there definitely was a case of that. Um, I had a really interesting chat last week with some people over in Barcelona for a Barcelona podcast. And they were kind of saying that they thought that this Barcelona team were on fire, like they were in peak form, but they just didn't know how to judge them because they had stormed the league so much. And it was like, what, what was the quality? And we saw it with teams like Atletico Madrid, who we were kind of used to being 
much better than they were this season fall away so I think there was that constant question mark over Barcelona like okay we know they're good but how good are they I think that was was probably answered especially because even in the run-ups like the semi-finals they were it was quite close between the teams um so I think like there definitely was from some parts of the world I fully admit myself as well there was an underestimation of how good Barcelona are um and even just like the individual talents on that team you know you're like Lika Martins you're Jenny Hermosos like Caroline Grainhamps and they were all just incredible on the night and I think it's a real testament as well that it was when it was two years ago and they played Leon that it was 10 of that squad were in that team. And it's just so obvious how hard they've worked since then to become the superpower they are. Kathleen, just um, we'll touch on Martins and Hermoso in a minute, but um, we know Marin Mielder wasn't available. Uh, Jonna Anderson didn't play. Were you surprised as someone that's followed Chelsea, but also who's followed Barca closely and knows the strength of their wingers and just how lethal they are, that they went with a relatively inexperienced pair in Neve Charles and Jess Carter as those fullbacks? Because like Neve Charles is going to be seeing Lika Martins in her nightmares for months, you'd think, and Carter just looked in all sorts as well. Were you surprised that Emma Hayes backed those two, I guess, less experienced players in? Because clearly it, it didn't work out. I was and I wasn't in that she's put quite a lot of faith in the two of them already this season. Um, and they, by and large, they've done quite well. I know, like Carter, especially, I think there was a big question mark over her. And like in the latter parts of the season with Marmiel out, like she has really come up and shown what she can offer. But also there's just, there's so much that goes into, I think like they were overwhelmed, obviously, by the fact that they were <laughs> facing off some of the best players in the world. But I also, part of me wonders, like, did they have that, like, physical strength? Did they have that conditioning to actually keep up with those players? Like, they're not, when Barcelona can play very beautiful football, but they're also not afraid to bully you off a ball either. If they have to use their strength, they will. And I think both of them really struggled with that and struggled with the pace. Um, In hindsight, was it the best decision? Possibly not, but also I think there were so many players on the, there was absolutely no cover for any single player on that pitch. Everyone was outperformed. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's something that they will keep with them. And I suppose from a Chelsea side, all you can hope is that the two of them do see Martins in their nightmares for the next like three or four months. And then they go into the new season and they've learned something from it and they're actually able to be better. I think a lot of people talk about Emma Hayes and, how important mentality is for her and I, that's what I'm really interested to see out the other side of this is like how does she bring that team's mentality back up because even for herself like she's been wanting this for nine years got there and completely explode like where does she go from here how does she find the kind of inner strength to push this team on to do better next time I mean, can they take something from Barcelona, who um, I guess the line was um, in their coach pre-match was, you know, two years ago, we was essentially, we were just happy to make it here and we just had the experience of a final and now we're going into win because we know what it takes. Is that is that what you draw on, like if you're Chelsea? I think yes and I think no, in that I think Barcelona were in a different place than Chelsea were. Like I think in terms of their projects, Barcelona are definitely a lot further along the line. But when you look at some of the stuff that Barcelona said they changed after that final, it was quite basic. Well, what we would consider now quite basic stuff at the time for women's football when it was still growing probably wasn't all that much. But I think Chelsea are kind of already there. So I think in some ways it's quite interesting that they're going to have to 
they can use that definitely because it's a great story like two years came back but I think what they'll need to change is different than what Barcelona needed to change I think they will need to be a more cohesive unit as a squad they'll need to have a lot more depth and experience in certain areas like especially we said about the defensive side of things you know you probably shouldn't lose a key player and then have to rely on the likes of Neve Charles and Jessica no matter how good they are and um, you should be able to throw on a really strong experienced person in that situation um and yeah I think it's one of those things where they've brought in a lot of great names but do they have that kind of core unit there that's going to see them through those difficult times I'm not sure who was the person on the pitch day before who was trying to you know pull everyone together I think everyone was a bit shell-shocked even players like Magda Eriksson who were like very well experienced internationals everyone was just a bit like ah we've never really been in this situation before what are we doing well I mean does is this a recruiting thing do you reckon then Kathleen because when we talk about Chelsea's depth it's clearly in attack right so you got Beth England Gura Wright and just two of the names that you can just swing off the bench obviously there's talk about Lauren James coming in um but in terms of, I guess, your defensive midfielders, your defenders who can really, I guess, I get taste for saying this all the time, but like pull things together by the scruff of the neck, like grab grab a game, pull it back on their terms and say, this is what's happening now. Because, you know, sometimes your attackers can't do it all. Sometimes you need a presence. Like what, what do they need? Is it that sort of, I guess, um, midfielder that can pull things together? Is it defender? Is it just getting more more really quality depth across the pitch rather than just those defenders? I think it's more quality depth across like the midfield and the defense in terms of having just that strong person who is going to like muscle people off balls, who's going to like intimidate a defense. Um, and even like a couple of weeks ago, Magda Erickson was out for a few games. Like Chelsea really struggled without her. And you could see it was so obvious there was a hole where she would normally be. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, it's a bit mad that okay fair enough she's a hard person to replace you're not going to have like five Magda Ericsons on your squad but you think you would have someone that would kind of like semi-fill that gap and they they just didn't and then watching the final on Sunday again it would just hammered home how much of a weak area that is for this team um and I think it's so easy as well for us to get swept up in like the San Kerrs and the Frank Kirby's because it's so much fun to watch them play and there's been different parts of this year with Chelsea where you're watching them defend and I mean it's effective but you kind of almost feel that they're just throwing bodies in front of balls like I don't think I've ever seen so many rebounded blocked shots from a team before and I think maybe because that worked for them before it gave a kind of false impression that they had a bit more of a defensive plan and then Barcelona were able to absolutely expose it um and again Barcelona are very good so it's not a case of just like Chelsea were you know absolutely terrible and there's no credit to Barcelona that they fully deserved what they got. Speaking of Barcelona what do you think that they did particularly well because they were obviously just better in basically every category but were there aspects of their performance that really stood out to you as like part of the like major reason that they just blew Chelsea out of the water? I think it was 
the accuracy and like everything they did and the like the quickness of it they watched like the build up to the third goal some of the passes that they were threading like it was just so fun to it was more fun than the actual goal itself I've watched that clip on like Twitter about 50 times every time it comes up I'm like oh this is just so nice to watch this is champagne football at its finest um and I think they just had that you know they were it's something I always used to say about like Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr actually where like you they don't need to look up and see where the other person is on the pitch they just know that they're going to be arriving and I think with this Barcelona team they were like that except it was every single player on the pitch they just knew that they had run their stuff they knew that someone was going to be ahead of them or someone was going to be ready and waiting for that pass and were also so aware that it was like one touch football it was like me you back again there was none of this kind of holding the ball and like giving Chelsea even really an opportunity to take it off them and so I think that was what they did well I think they just have some really incredible players as well who are able to pull out those sort of goals when needed I think that they did get lucky with the first two I mean at that stage the game was practically over and they as Emma Hayes said like and Katrenberger didn't really have to save a proper shot from any of them like it was just the way it um, unfolded but I think if it was anything I think they were just physically stronger tactically more aware about what was going on and I think had a greater belief that like this was they like this is a team that's riding so high at the moment they just knew they could do it and they did. <laughs> Kathleen I know Marissa promised that we wouldn't make any bad jokes but she can't make promises for me and um, we were saying uh before this uh actual chat like watching that first 36 minutes it was like one time Barcelona punched me in the face it was awesome (laughs) so that's how we all felt watching it like they were just so good they were so clinical they just the the ball movement was amazing and I'll be really keen to hear your thoughts on Lincoln Martins in particular because watching that game the one thing I was thinking the whole time was imagine if this player was fit at that 2019 World Cup We know she had the toe injury and was clearly so hindered throughout the final games of that tournament. And if she had been fully fit against the USA, I reckon the Netherlands would have gone a lot closer to winning it. But for me, I just thought she, I know she didn't win player of the match, but I just thought she was incredible with the way she, obviously Neve Charles is very inexperienced, but she was burning her for pace. She was like, especially with that third goal that we talk about, she just shoves her off the ball physically. She, um, had the awareness to know where our players were. She was dancing around. She was just creating and just, I know she didn't score, but she was just getting involved at will. And we've known that she was a former player of the year, but she looks like her game's gotten even better, even if I guess she's maybe flown under the radar a little bit more in these past couple of years because of obviously we had the Megan Rapino year and uh, Peniel Harder in this last sort of year and a half but she just looks like she's even better and for me she looked like the player that was pulling the strings for most of that first half I mean what did you think of her game and I guess what's the hype been like around her at Barcelona because we don't watch a heap of Barcelona normally over here so yeah just your thoughts on her generally would be great Mm, this is a really funny thing about her in that like there was points this season where she wasn't even making it into the starting squad and everyone was kind of like what are you doing was it like Rose Lavelle at City everyone was sitting there going why please play her um yeah she was amazing I I remember I was I was watching her thinking to myself like I wonder what it's like to be in your head right now like you must just feel like everything you touch is turning to gold and I imagine that must be such a freeing feeling to just 
be on your game that level that you actually you know you're just doing everything the way you want to do in a final um yeah she's a really interesting one because I don't think there's as much hype around her as there possibly should be I think there's like a great appreciation for how good she is but in terms of the names on that team like she's probably not one of the ones that gets mentioned first and that is because she like sometimes doesn't start and sometimes comes on as kind of a super sub um which again I suppose does show the depth that is in that Barcelona squad that they can't afford to leave someone of her quality on the bench but I think you look at that game and there's no way that she didn't like put in a very good case for being one of the top footballers in Europe um she just I, I think she has possibly suffered in the past for coming from both an international squad that has incredible players like, you know, your Medimas of the world and then being in Barcelona where they have Graham Hansen, like Oshuala, Jenny Hermoso. There's just so many names you can go to consistently that to actually you have to be consistently in front of people's minds for them to actually notice you. And I think that's maybe where she's fallen down in the past, but I don't think anyone's going to be making that mistake anymore. <laughs> But yeah, I guess my question for you, so Lake Martin's fantastic game. Did you have a personal player of the match? Um, were you in line with Bonmati as best on ground? Like, yeah, who 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 is your big takeaway from from that? I like agree to I thought Bonmati like deserved it for player of the match in particular. I thought she was incredible. Am I always am just a personal fan favorite of Caroline Graham Hansen? I just love watching her play. I just She's one of those people that whenever she gets the ball, I just get excited. And I'm like, I know you're going to do, and it might not be the like twirliest, prettiest thing in the world, but you're going to make something happen. Um, and I was really happy for her that she got to like contribute to the score sheet at the end of the day. Um, yeah, so I think probably her would be the one that I would just like, I always gravitate towards as a player and um, for everything that she does on the pitch. We're very sensitive about Caroline Graham-Hanson here in Australia, Kathleen, because she absolutely tore us a new one in the World Cup a couple of years ago when she was still sort of trending up. So, I mean, it's not nice that she's it, still I doing like, it. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that. that I was like, to make you guys feel any better, I come from Ireland. It's a tough time generally supporting our football <laughs> team. So. We may have people like Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan, but in terms of actually getting to a World Cup, it's <laughs> struggle <laughs> <laughs> I wonder Kathleen if you could uh sort of comment on the role that Jenny Hermoso has played in this team I feel like she is weirdly underrated and maybe not really as as well uh, sort of publicized even I'm like I don't know maybe this is just speaking from an Australian context but she is so crucial to this Barcelona squad and she has been so prolific over the course of the last couple of seasons how do you see her role in this Barca side and how important is she I, I Jenny Hermoso again really interesting one because I think she a bit like the kind of media that is around Sam Kerr sometimes where there's like this full like everyone knows they're incredible and that they break all these scoring records and do all these things but there's almost an expectation from people that are like but you should be doing more like you sh you could be scoring a lot more um I think she scored like a goal and it evens out over the course of the season that she scored a goal in every single game, which is like a really impressive stat. But I was talking to some Barcelona fans and they're like, yeah, but we're scoring like nine goals every week. Like it's actually not all that impressive. She should be doing more. Um, so I find it funny. I think she's one of those veterans who's kind of been there for so long that 
people feel like they have a kind of claim over her and they can say these things because she's like one of their own um but yeah I mean again you're going to miss a player that is scoring a goal every game even if you are Barcelona and you're running away with like a 123 plus goal difference in the league um I think again what I like about her is for an attacking player like she's not really afraid to get down and dirty like she is quite a physical player as well she's not necessarily the one who's dancing around um although there would be some controversy that she may have gone down slightly easily for that penalty but we'll we'll leave that aside it's fine um but I just think she's so the fact that she is one of the names that people will most regularly associate with that Barcelona team is a testament to how important and how crucial she is to it like I would say there's probably like three players that people normally mention and it's her Graham Hansen and Ashwala and that, that probably like does a disservice to the rest of the team because they are so excellent but I think if you're being pulled out and being one of those three then you're you're pretty crucial I sort of um associate Jenny Homoso like she was one of the standout players at the 2019 World Cup and I guess as well when you look at this Barcelona side, it's very homegrown. It's predominantly Spanish players. What's the sort of, I guess, from the context of being over closer to Europe and in the UK, what's the sort of atmosphere around Spain's, I guess, national side and their project there? Because I think, personally, I think they were excellent at the World Cup, but it seems like they're only going to get bigger and better from here if this is the sort of football that Spain, the Spanish clubs are producing. Yeah, I think for a while there's been, uh, I don't say like a snobbishness, because that's probably a bit mean to everyone, but it's kind of, it, because Spain has never been like traditionally a superpower in terms of the entire league, um, you know, I think like France definitely benefited from having Leon there because of the fact that everyone then just assumed the rest of the league was kind of interesting and paid attention. Um England has obviously had the WSL for so long. Germany, like Crown Bundesliga, has long had a big powers. And I think in Barcelona, especially in the last two years, because they have upped their game so much that people are suddenly starting to pay a bit more attention to it. Um, I always thought it was really interesting and worked like a lot of the guys I work with wouldn't necessarily have watched a lot of women's football before the last like year or so. And sometimes you chuck on like a Barcelona game or whatever and they were saying you know the type of football that this women's team is playing is the one that we would expect the men's team to be playing but they're just not and you know they would kind of joke and say oh if you're looking for like fast flowing smooth one touch football watch Barcelona women don't watch the men um so I think they've like they're really starting to build a reputation for wash spanish football could be and I think that that is purely because like two years ago they sat down and really looked at what they were doing wrong. And I think the fact that Barcelona are putting the money into La Masia and the academy and they want to start creating those women's players in the same way that we know it for the men's players in the past. I think that's such a testament to like what could be to come. I am kind of of the opinion that I don't think you're going to get a team that dominates the way Leon has. Again, I think this year marked a bit of a change um or if they do dominate it'll be in a different way it'll be like a man city sort of situation or something rather than uh we're just the only good team in europe or we're the only ones being fed so i think while because a few people have asked me recently they've said like oh barcelona are they the new superpower are they the new leon 
I don't know if we're going to get a Leon again, but I think Barcelona are definitely going to be one of the top challengers for the next while. Do you, Kathleen, see um, Spain in terms of a national team? We know that they're under 20s. I think what made the final of the under 20 World Cup a couple of years back, obviously there'd be a heap of Spain players involved in this Barcelona team. I mean, when, when do you see or do you see Spain going up to that upper echelon? Like, can they make a big charge, say, at the Euros? Can they make a charge towards that World Cup? Like, where, where do you see Spain sitting? Is there going to be maybe this sort of changing of the guard vibe where Spain force their way up the rankings and into that upper echelon? Yeah, I think, again, much like Barcelona, I think they're a team that we have kind of slept on a little bit in terms of how potentially good they could be um I think I'm so excited for the Euros next year because I just think it's going to be such a good opportunity to see with teams like that you know it were a couple of years past the World Cup there's been like all these big events like the Champions League final where it was actually like not Leon for the first time in ages I think there's just been so many factors that are pointing towards a changing of the guard in multiple ways I still to be honest I still think that the traditional superpowers of women's football are probably too strong at this point to be toppled would love to see it happen but I think that the Euros especially going into World Cup and World Cup qualifying are going to be such a good opportunity for like teams like Spain to stake a claim and kind of say don't be sleeping on us anymore because we know that we have this talent and I think what's really good about Spain is that kind of mixture of like those veteran talents that we talk about like Hermoso and stuff but also all those younger players that are coming through stuff like the Barcelona Academy and I mean there's others like teams like Atletico Madrid and stuff they haven't had a great season but they still are a well-established team so yeah it's going to be it's going to be exciting it's going to be good I won't be making any predictions about any games because that's clearly something I'm just really bad at (laughs) In terms of the Spanish league, I'm interested. So in the W League, we had City come in a couple of years ago and they flattened everyone. And it was sort of a wake-up call for the league in terms of the other clubs, um, you know, stepping up their game and putting in more resources to their women's teams. With this moment for Barcelona, do you think that it's going to have a similar effect for the other, like, teams in the Primera Iberdrola or... I guess, is it going to be more like a Leon situation where they just, you know, continue to <laughs> dominate for X amount of years? I think it's going to be, I, I always think with these things, it's so personal to the clubs and how they feel and like what the mood is in the country at a certain time. You know, in England, we had like teams like Chelsea, City, spending all this money, Arsenal kind of like falling behind after being that big, power for so long then like I was at the other side of the league there was such a disparity where some of the teams were even struggling to put up a full team of players like I think um Birmingham this year there wasn't like a single game where they didn't have more than one sub so it's such a it's so dependent on the league I would like to be like yes definitely I think they will invest but I think when you support women's football you're kind of so burned by these things for so long that it's really hard to even get your hopes up that that's what clubs are going to do but I do think there is more appetite for successful women's clubs now I think you know Jay Mollis at Leon and like Abramovich for whatever else they do they have shown that like you can just invest in these teams and it's quite fun and like you can create a great product as well and I think that's a really important thing that they've shown 
How do you see it, Kathleen, particularly in the context of the bungled European Super League stuff? Because that was sort of, that was a, a situation where there were these sort of undercurrents and, and dynamics of these massive super clubs pulling away from their domestic leagues to the point where those leagues weren't even really competitive anymore. It was sort of two competitions in one. And now we're starting to see those same clubs coming to the women's table and investing in women's teams with the same results on the horizon where even in the FAWSL, it's sort of like it's the top four and the rest. How do you sort of view, um, I guess, the influx of all this investment and are you worried about what it might look like down the road? Yeah, the European Super League stuff was so ridiculous in so many different ways. It's almost like part of me wanted to be really offended that it was only like 27, 28 words in the statement dedicated to women's football. And the other part of me was kind of like, <laughs> escapes that like absolute madness. <laughs> um, but also as well, I was interested because obviously now they're talking about if the if certain clubs don't totally reject the league, then they're going to be chucked out of European competitions. But it's still really unclear about how that applies to the women's teams, just because they clearly had absolutely no involvement in the whole thing. And also there wasn't even a competition for them to go to in the first place. And um, so like a couple of weeks ago, you had this really strange thing where Barcelona could be in the Champions League final, were in the Champions League final. But there was also a question mark over whether they'd even be playing European football next year if UEFA did decide to let take them out of the competition. Um, and I mean, it could still happen, really. They haven't really provided much clarity about what they're doing with those three clubs. It Part of me does worry because, obviously, I always think increased investment comes with as many issues as it does good things. Um, I think women's football is starting from a better base in that for so long it hasn't had that funding and it has allowed for a different culture to kind of develop in it. And um, even simple things like the fact that, you know, LGBT culture is very strong in women's football. I don't think you get rid of those sort of things overnight. I think it'll take a lot. I most concerned would probably just be having very top heavy leagues and not having that investment trickle down more and um, stuff like the we have a broadcast deal now at sky that's going to mean that most games are either on sky or bbc which is like the national broadcaster in england and something like that is so great because it does spread out that money a bit more and it's not just relying on investment from people in those big clubs um but yeah it's it's interesting. I'm always torn by it because I, I like the fact that there isn't massive amounts of money in it in the sense that I think it allows for a much more of a community and a culture to build up. But also I want these women to get what they deserve, which is they should be paid properly. They should have proper training. They should have proper facilities. Um, I mean, you see like last week, Casey Stoney leaving Manchester United because the facilities weren't up to scratch. Liverpool's team playing in the championship. You know, these are massive clubs with loads of money. They're not necessarily a Birmingham or a Bristol where they, they men's teams themselves are not operating with the same budgets. Um, so as much as it's always great to be like, we're doing so well, there's just so much still that needs to improve. And I think we're still at the stage where that investment is more important than it is damaging. I was just going to say, uh, Kathleen, in the context of um, Carla Ward, basically obviously leaving Birmingham City and has effectively said that um, 
she's queried whether football clubs understand the size of women's football. Are you noticing that? I guess with, I suppose, teething problems, like it's almost the game's growing so quickly and some clubs are ahead of the curve and some are just sort of barely keeping pace and others are really starting to fall behind. How do you, just from that, especially in England where we saw that real gap, as Sam mentioned, emerge between the teams that have got it right and the ones that are falling behind. How do you see this going forward, especially now we will have that broadcast money coming in that can maybe level the playing field to an extent? I think it's a dual issue of not just the clubs, maybe not having the experience to run things, but also the people running the competitions. Um, I think there's been a, like for a while, there's been talk about the Premier League taking over the WSL in England And while part of me is kind of terrified by that idea because, you know, it's not like the Premier League has always covered itself in glory. There's also a part of me that thinks they are more equipped to like, it sounds, this is going to sound really like, but like to milk it for all that it is worth and to actually want to put that investment in, make it a spectacle. Also just knowing how they've been dealing with big clubs and big money for so long and a lot of the issues that come up in women's football is just poor management more than anything else. I think even more than it is ignorance or not putting money in, you know, you had that thing with Birmingham where the AM played Risha Littlejohn, thought she had served her ban in a cup match, played her in a WSL game, but then it turned out that she can't, the rules changed, but no one somewhere along the way had thought to check or inform Birmingham or anything. And you kind of think, surely there's someone in the organisation as well as in the club who should have seen that team sheet and gone, mm, don't think she's supposed to be there. Because it was just a stupid mistake more than anything that was um, like dangerous or them trying to like pull the wall over anyone's eyes. So I think for me, it's more a case of, needing better organization or even we saw it with like the FA Cup when they cancelled the early rounds because it was classed as a non-elite competition and then we're turning around and expecting teams who are like semi-pro to be able to play a game after having not played football for five weeks there's just been so many incidences where it's been poor organization more than it's been an issue within clubs or an issue with funding Um, So I think that's one of the things that I'd really like to see improve. And also because I think when you improve that, that in itself says something. Yes, money is great, but you also need people who can handle the money, who can deal with it, who can kind of, you know, not put it to waste, I suppose. And looking towards the future in the context of the Champions League as well, we know that there's going to be a new format next year. There's going to be new media sort of central broadcast rights. There's going to be new money. Do you think that those new rules are UEFA's attempt to avoid some of the mistakes of the men's game because there's something like the redistribution fund, for example? Yeah, I think it is. And I think, I mean, I keep forgetting that these new rules are coming in and the pot is being doubled like four times, which is, I mean, it started quite low as it is, but it's still amazing that it's happening. I think it's funny because as women's, football was kind of going towards that sort of format in the Champions League men's football has been like pulling away from it and almost trying to give that power to the those kind of European super clubs if you want to I mean like you have teams like Arsenal who are literally 10th at the moment being counted as a super club but whatever I'm not the one making these decisions (laughs) um but I think it's hard to know with places like 
UEFA if they actually learn from mistakes. I think like this does show a sign of good faith from them, however late in the day it is coming. And I hope that they do take from the mistakes of the men's game. But I also, part of me wonders, like, do they see some of these things as mistakes or do they just see them as things that happened and they can't really control it you know I just I worry that it would go the same way as the men's where you would have certain clubs who are quite powerful in the whole thing and then other teams don't get to make decisions Um, because one of the things I really like about the new format is that you might not be knocked out against Leon in like the first round you might be able to like go and kind of build a bit of a run for yourself and go a bit further you know especially you look at say maybe the Italian teams or teams like Real Madrid as well in Spain who are just like a new team and starting to come up I think the new format will really benefit them and really benefit how they develop their squads and their clubs um so I'm looking forward to it I saw they had like a new logo and a new anthem and stuff yesterday so I'm curious to see how I feel about the anthem because quite like just the traditional Champions League one I think there's nothing better than sitting down on like a Tuesday or Wednesday and just kind of singing to yourself on the couch you're like the champions this is great also I can't believe I just sang on a podcast so there we go <laughs> you fit right in then because I'm always the one singing on here so it's, it's good for me personally that you've decided to sing as well um, <laughs> I also love that we said we're just going to talk Champo's final and then we went like existential crisis of women's football. So sorry to throw those at you, but very good answers. Go on, Harry. I do have a, a Champions League final related discussion to talk about. It's our own Sammy Kerr, um, who obviously, and I'll ask your thoughts on this, Kathleen. I actually reckon this is, uh, I'll give my, I'll, play it out first before I give my opinion on it. But um, essentially a couple of years ago when Sam Kerr was at Chicago Red Stars, um, I think she was sort of getting questioned about whether she could be one of the best players in the world playing in the NWSL because, you know, Europe's growing, Europe's this, Europe's competitive. And uh, our our Sam Kerr has watched the, the Champions League final where Leon have thumped Barcelona and tweeted, and this is competitive with like the little eyes. This is May 19, 2019. So unfortunately for poor Sam, Barcelona appear to have taken this as a slight on them. Like, a, you know, they're saying we're not competitive. We got thrashed. And so obviously after they've beaten Sam Kerr's Chelsea very, very comfortably and poor Sam's barely been able to get near it, um, their own, well, for one, the fans came for Sam Kerr on Twitter, but uh, Barcelona's own Patricia Guajaro has said um, post-match, and I'll translation here, two years ago there were people who are here today, who could that be, who said that the 4-0 wasn't competitive for that final. Today we've given them a taste of their own medicine. Clearly a dig at Sam Kerr, clearly, um, you know, saying you've got a taste of your own medicine. Personally, I very, like I feel for Sam Kerr, but this is the sort of stuff you see in the men's game all the time. I think you see it in sport everywhere. A bit of pettiness. It gets people talking. Like, it's going to probably light a bit of a fire in Sam Kerr and Chelsea. Like, I enjoy seeing this sort of rivalry come out. And uh, clearly it's something that motivated Barcelona. But, um, yeah, Kathleen, what's been the response to that over there? Because it seems like it's just popped up everywhere, this, uh, this little discussion about Sam Kerr's tweet from two years ago. Yeah, I'd love to know if 
they knew about it before the game and if you know Louis Cortez was there in the changing room before they went out with just like a massive billboard of Sam Kerr's tweet being like this is what we're going after this is what we're doing <laughs> um I think people like here it's just been kind of a bit of a oh, like you see it you see the tweet and you go oh that's mm, that's one you're gonna regret but I also agree that it is nice to have those rivalries building up and I think sometimes we do Maybe not so much in the US game, but I know like more so in the European game because it's always been so developing in women's football. I think we forget sometimes it is okay to have these rivalries and it is okay to kind of, you know, have a bit of banter with people and obviously not be super personal or rude or anything. But, you know, you can have a bit of bit of fun talk, you know, kind of get the rivalries going. Um, so I think like here, everyone was just like laughing a little bit at it and kind of especially because Sam Kerr was so invisible in the final like she could she might as well not have been on the pitch to be honest but I suppose half the Chelsea team might as well have not been on the pitch at a certain point um but it's just it's just entertaining to see someone be taken and I think someone like Sam Kerr as well who can have a bit of a attitude at times mm. like not a bad attitude she's just like that one <laughs> yeah exactly like she's just like having fun she's not afraid to say what she thinks I think if it was other players you might kind of feel for them a bit more but with Sam Curry you're like she probably can give as good as she can get so I look forward to the tweet in however many years where she comes back and she's like yeah <laughs> finally made it competitive <laughs> it's good isn't it because like we know that so especially like with the NWSL and now especially with a few of our girls going over to UK there's so many players that are friends and great mates on the field but I think people forget that the the women's footballers can be just as like competitive and um at times spiteful and you know fired up and just ready to have a bit of fun with things like this banter on 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 and off the field I thought it was a like just it's just a moment that I think was good to have like I don't think there was anything too spiteful in it like clearly Barcelona felt they had a point to prove and uh Sam Kerr wouldn't have been the only one I'm sure (laughs) making comments about the performance that day but I thought it was just a yeah something that's good to see in the women's game like we all know that players take it personally when they see something they see as criticism and it can spur them on and they want to prove people wrong and yeah, as you say, Kathleen, I'm sure if Sam Kerr wins the Champions League next year or in two years' time, she'll be the first one to be like, as she said after winning the title in the Golden Boot in England, people that doubted me guess they're wrong. So <laughs> I quite like bottles of wine. <laughs> yeah, what have you made of Sam Kerr's sort of season overall, not just in Champions League, but in the FAWSL as well? Like, were you did you expect her to take out the golden boot in her first full season? Like where did you sit in terms of expectations and and how she's met them or exceeded them? I think when she first came, I was definitely surprised, not surprised, but like, I think I expected more from her, like a lot of other people, but like in the context of everything that was happening at the time, I wasn't really that concerned. I don't like, I would have been surprised if a player of her quality, especially one who had, you know, travelled between W League and the NWSL wasn't, like, just didn't need some time to settle in or, you know, I think you should always give players like that at least a season to kind of prove that they can settle into a game and do, and especially in a year that was so weird like last year was. Um, I think that I would be very curious to see how she would have done without a partnership like Frank Kirby there. I think that what they have developed 
it's not just your usual kind of strike partnership. You know, I think they do have something a bit different in terms of how they, how well they get on, how good they are at linking up and also how much she did put a lot of stuff on a plate for Sam. I think like a bit like I was saying about Jenny Hermoso earlier, sometimes you watch her and she'll have so many shots and she'll get a couple of them off, but you're also like, what happened to those other ones? Her radar gets quite skewed at times. So I'd, I'd just be curious if she didn't have someone of Fran Kirby's style. And I am a massive Fran Kirby fan, so that I should say that as like a pre-warning to this. Welcome, um, Welcome to yeah. the fan club. Yeah. <laughs> We're the Fran girls. Yeah, massive Fran girls. Um, I just wonder if she would have succeeded as much as she did. I mean, obviously she has to have that quality herself, but I also think she that partnership was really important for her just in terms of getting her own confidence back in her game and um, because I, I can't imagine how difficult it was to come over here not be great and then not be able to go home to Australia for like a year it, it must have been so hard for her so I think all things considered what she's done is very impressive this season. It's, as someone that's right over there Kathleen what is the influence of Emma Hayes like? Like you would deal with her more than we do obviously and she's clearly been instrumental in one Fran Kirby's resurgence but also getting the best out of Sam Kerr like as someone that's over there like what do you see in terms of Emma Hayes's influence? I think because Emma Hayes has been at Chelsea for so long and there's almost she's I think a lot of people would see her as one of the people who really like pushed professionalism in the WSL and pushed the standard of what a club should give a team and what it and what you then as a manager have to give back to maintain your place in that team. You know, she's the one who's kind of responsible for making sure this Chelsea team had like proper training facilities, that their kits were washed for them, that they were involved in all these different aspects, very normal aspects of a club, but obviously ones that for a long time, the women's side wasn't really involved in. So I think it's interesting because there is this sort of, like we were saying about so many people in the women's game knowing each other. I think there is this certain like, acceptance that she is a legend of the game and sometimes it's hard to critique that because like she objectively had a bad game on Sunday but because of everything she's done before there's so much more weight in criticizing her or like saying something bad about her um but I think like I mean her press conferences are so funny because she has such an attitude and you never really know if you're going to get a genuinely sincere really informative answer or if you're going to ask her like how the squad's shaping up for the weekend and she's going to be like oh well G got a new haircut I think it suits her better (laughs) she's very funny in that way where she flips between really serious to just like good crack at the same time um I think we'll look back and be really like feel quite lucky that you were able to watch a manager like that for so long I just I wonder especially after the final I think I said this earlier on like where she goes from here what she like the energy it must have taken to get that squad to the first place uh, get that to the final in the first place and then to have it so unceremoniously like just ripped from you it must leave you questioning a lot of stuff, especially your own game and how you prepared or set up a team. Um, Because she very much is a person who would say, you know, 
I'm as responsible as the team. She takes that credit. Um, and one of her big things is that man management. It, we talked about Frank Kirby when she was sick. You know, Emma Hayes was her rock. A lot of Sam Kerr, when we interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, she kind of said the same. She was like, I probably wouldn't still be here without the faith Emma put in me. And when you look at all the stars she has in that team, the fact that all of them are so happy to play for each other and aren't really concerned about their individual achievements I think it's such a testament to what she is able to do it's just now is she able to bring that to like the tactical side to the recruitment side to all those other things I think there's a question mark over Emma Hayes now in a way there hasn't been for a long time um and I'm really interested to see what she does with that what how do you see her approaching this game against Everton in a few days Kathleen is she the sort of manager that you think would try and get some of those players the one that stands out to me is Melanie Lupals after who had a shocker like do you try and get some of those players straight back out there so that's not that you know so that final isn't their last memory of playing a game for a few months like or does she test young players like what do you expect in terms of this initial response from Emma Hayes because also they don't want to get knocked out of another cup like four days later yeah it would be quite upsetting to go from possible quadruple to oh you can do like two games or two finals um I think Emma Hayes is very much someone who lives well says she lives in the moment again you'd be at some of her press conferences and you'd be asking her about a game that's maybe slightly after the one that's coming up or there's even been times where we've been there and she's like is the game Saturday or Sunday like she she's like I just take it day by day and I do things day by day and I live in that moment I think it was like she said that for the Champions League semi-final or something and we were all sitting there like (laughs) you you have to travel for this so you should probably know what it is um so I think she will very much be like the final happened we will like she'll have done her dissection with the team she'll have gone through all the things that they did badly with them but in terms of keeping that feeling in their heads that's not something she's going to want she's going to want to like straight away turn that into something that they can use positively rather than something that's going to drag them down so I think absolutely she'll be like throwing people back out there that she thinks needs it I she's never really been a person who kind of rests players for games I think to her every game is important and more so now the FA Cup has just taken on a whole new beast for them because the Champions League final went so badly and um, that possibly might disintegrate over time because I mean the final isn't until the 5th of December so by that stage they'll have had a lot of other games and stuff but yeah I think she'll she'll be pulling out a full squad and she won't be holding back and um, especially because Everton are a tricky opponent in the sense that they're the sort of team that could definitely trick you up and they have some really good players so I don't think she'll want to risk it it's not like she's playing a lower championship for even one of the semi-pro teams well, they tripped him up in one cup already didn't they so like, yeah. they can't have that happen again <laughs> yeah, exactly and I don't as well I think that would just be not a nail in the coffin for them but it after coming off such a high from winning the WSL and having the Conte Cup to then lose the FA Cup and the Champions League in the space of a week, I just, I don't think that's something that Emma Hayes is going to be eager to do. Do you, do you see the um, I, Emma Hayes at Chelsea? Do you, do you see her staying there long-term still, Kathleen? Or do you think she wants to tick certain boxes and then look for a new challenge? Like, surely the fire in the belly has got to be there when you get so close to winning the Champions League with that group? 
from the way she talks about Chelsea, it's very much like this is my club, this is my life. There's, you know, there's nothing else that there's nowhere else I'm interested in. Obviously, there was those um talk about her and Wimbledon, which was ridiculous at the time. But even when she was asked about, you know, maybe a higher club or a club somewhere else, she seemed very disinterested in leaving Chelsea. To me personally, I just think she's the sort of person who at some stage won't want to be comfortable. So if she does achieve what she wants to achieve with Chelsea, I don't know if it even would make sense for her to stay on in that she's been there for so long at some point. I would be able to say that you leave on a high rather than, you know, stay around and possibly see your legacy tarnished. And I think she has a lot more to give in the game. And I think you look at what she could do with another club compared to what she's done with Chelsea and it would be really interesting to see. But in terms of anything she said, like she's never given any indication that she cares to leave Chelsea. I think she has a great setup there. And if she did leave, it would be very much in the knowledge that she would possibly have to build up everything that she's been given there again. And I don't know. I feel like maybe you only have one of those clubs in your life where you actually have the energy to take it from nothing to something. So if she did leave, I think she would have to be pretty confident of the setup she's going into and and also the line she would have to kind of the bigger people in the club. You know, she talks quite a lot about the chairman in Chelsea, Bruce Buck, who she has a really good relationship. We saw Bramovich was at the game on Sunday. You know, she does seem to have a line to those sort of people, which I don't think a lot of other coaches in her position do. Um, but yeah, I think I think once she sets out to achieve what she wants to achieve, there'll be some sort of change because I I don't know if you can keep pushing yourself with the one. I mean, maybe you can, plenty of players or plenty of coaches have done it. So maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I just kind of think she'd want a new challenge somewhere. Do you see her moving into maybe a national team somewhere, maybe after whatever happens with the Lionesses over the next four-year cycle? I think maybe at some stage, but I don't think it'll be that soon. I think... Like because she was linked a lot to the Lioness's job anyways when Neville went over to MLS and so was uh, Casey Stoney and I remember talking to people about it and it just confused me as to why they would want to leave for a national team setup when they're competing every week in quite a competitive league they have Champions League I know like for a long time women's international football was kind of the PS resistance of the whole thing because it was, you know, all the best players coming together under that one bracket. But I don't know if it quite holds that same prestige in the same way anymore. I think someone of Emma Hayes's caliber, I mean, maybe if it's a sense of like she just gets absolutely worn out by the, you know, day to day, week to week nature of what Chelsea's season looks like, possibly a national team would be for her. But I think at this stage, she has far too much to offer a league team to take on a national team job um and also I mean I would say Lioness's job just seems a bit cursed at this stage because they have such good players but they just can't seem to be able to pull them into a squad that's really competitive you sound devastated as an Irish woman there (laughs) I'm so sad I'm so sad It's like a running joke in the office about like the Euros this summer that they'll get me in a pub in an England jersey. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> that will not be happening. I will not be cheering you guys on in the <laughs> competition. <laughs> 
so yeah, we covered basically more than the Champions League final, but it was such an enthralling chat. We can't thank you enough for letting us pick your brain and just chatting to us about the Champos, about women's football, especially in Europe. So thank you so much, Kathleen, for joining us in your morning, our evening, and we definitely want to have you back on because we've had an absolute ball chatting to you. So thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you, guys. I really enjoyed this. It was good fun. Good crack, as we say. <laughs> oh, you only said that once and I was like there it is there's the Irish influence kind of coming in there but if you want to catch any of Kathleen's work she's all over the ESPN platform so you can find her there you can find us on espn.com.au as well and the ESPN app you can find this podcast on Spotify Apple Google wherever you get your podcasts really if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our others leave a review it's very nice to say something nice about something you've enjoyed we're at the Far Post Pod on social media, so you can find us there and we'll definitely tag Kathleen and stuff so you can follow her on social media as well. But until next time, see us. <laughs>